It is so good to be back with you again. As Mike mentioned, he and I have been friends. Well, I know we both look very young, but uh, it's been over 40 years. In fact, just about 40 years ago, Mike and I went into business together. <clears throat> we painted houses while we were in college to pay for tuition. And it worked for a while, but when Mike was up on the high ladder, he would drop a lot of cans of paint down onto the ground, and we lost most of our profits and had to close the business down after a couple of months. Uh, I might be exaggerating a little bit on that, but uh, it's been a privilege to know your pastor for many years. And <clears throat> I want to thank each of you for your great heart for missions, for your support of our work in Turkey now for many years that you have been partners with us in this work. Turkey, one of the least reached countries on the planet. Of 80 million people in Turkey, only about 5,000 are evangelical Christians, a very small percentage of those within the country of Turkey. And for some reason, and I, and I, know, the, I know some of the reasons, there are, there are many for this, but outreach into the Middle East in general is very very limited. Right now, about 1% of all of the mission dollars spent, of all of Christians, churches around the world, only about 1% of those mission monies end up going to the Middle East. And of course, some of that is very difficult for those to, from other countries to get in to the Middle East. It's very difficult. The, the resentment and the uh, challenges are great there, but I really thank you for your investment in the Middle East. I really believe that every day as the Islamic issues become more and more prominent in the press, that it's a reminder for us to pray for the Islamic world and pray that they will come to know Jesus as he really is, not just a prophet, but as the Son of God who gave his life on the cross that we might know new life, real life, forgiveness through faith in him. We began this work in Turkey in the year 2000, back when there were really only about half a dozen Christian churches led by Turkish pastors in the whole country, a country the size of California, Oregon, and Washington. And over the last years, as by God's grace, as with your support and others, we've been able to see pastors train, new, new churches started, and now there's somewhere in the vicinity of 30 to 35 uh, churches in the country of Turkey led by Turkish pastors. So the work is still great, but God is doing things. Things are happening, and we're certainly grateful for your support in such a hard place for these pastors. I come this morning to say thank you on behalf of Pastor Samir, who just an Easter or two ago, we just celebrated Easter, but an Easter or two ago, he went to his small little rented facility where his church met, and as he was going in early that morning to prepare for the service, three young Islamic men took him and beat him up. He was able to get into the church eventually, and he still preached his sermon that morning, even though he had experienced a lot of uh, physical damage. But he's doing fine and still is pastoring and serving the Lord faithfully. 
I say good morning and thanks to you from Pastor Ingeen that you help support. One night, as <clears throat> Pastor Ingeen was with his family, kind of in the north, uh, northwestern part of Turkey, at two in the morning, there's a knock at his door, and the, he opens his door, and here are representatives of Hezbollah saying to he and his family, you have one hour for you and your wife. He had three young children. You have one hour to get out of your home and leave. And he knew they were serious. And he grabbed what few things they could, got into this rickety old car, drove about 500 miles away. And within a week, he was helping to start a new church in this new town that he had gone to. I think this morning as well of Pastor Emre, who thanks you for your support. Pastor Emre, just not maybe a year ago, Within a day or two of the event to take place, the police became aware in Turkey that a group of five or six men were planning to kill him, Pastor Emre. It was stopped. It's been now in the court system for over a year, and uh, these five or six young men are out free. Can you imagine pastoring in a city like that where you know there's at least five or six, maybe more, who would like to see you dead, and yet Pastor Emre serves the Lord faithfully week in and week out, even with this cloud pressure hanging over him. I say good morning and thank you from Pastor Isan, who is faithfully serving Christ and who receives so many death threats that his daughter worries about her dad. His daughter has dealt with a number of kind of psychological issues that comes from the fear that she experiences for her dad. We sometimes forget what life can be like for Christians in difficult places on this planet, in places of great persecution. But thank you for the encouragement you bring to them through your support. I can't even begin to tell you how many times these pastors I've mentioned and others tell me, how much they appreciate knowing that there are Christians in America, brothers and sisters in the faith, who care about them, who take an interest in them, who pray for them. And they deeply, deeply appreciate all that you do in support of this work in Turkey and of new churches being started. This morning, I want us to take a look at a passage in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, I think you see that on your outline, Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, one of seven letters written in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, written to communities of Christians in what is Turkey today. Now, as I share this message with you, really, uh, this is something that is more of a, an encouragement for all of us not to lose our vision not to lose our focus, not to lose our passion to see that the message of Christ continues to go out strongly. But it is a message that certainly this particular church in the town of Sardis needed to hear. Let's take a moment right now and let's pray for our brothers and sisters in places that are so hard and so challenging. And let's pray that God will speak to our hearts in our brief few moments of looking at this passage today. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving Father, 
we pause for a moment to say thank you as we were reminded at this table, the communion table. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. Thank you for the privilege of knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the freedom in this country to grow and learn and worship and be a part, actively engaged in our faith. But Lord, we are mindful of so many of those in the same Christian family who wake up every day not knowing whether this will be their last day simply because they're a Christian. Lord, would you give your grace and peace and protection and fruitfulness to our dear brothers and sisters in such difficult places. And Lord, as we are challenged and reminded and encouraged today to keep our focus on you, might we continually remember to stay awake and to stay focused on you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an interesting newspaper article I ran across a couple of years ago out of Tacoma, Washington. And before I tell you the story, let me tell you, it all worked out okay. As I get into it a little bit, you might get worried, but it all turned out okay. In Tacoma, Washington, a family that had this beautiful basset hound by the name of Tattoo, uh, it happened that the father was going to run out to the store for some items, and somehow, I don't know how it happened, but the dog's leash, Tattoo's leash, got shut in the door of the car as the dad was taking off to the store. So he doesn't realize this. He's driving to the store, and here's Tattoo uh, caught in the door of the leash, pulled along, running along behind the car and can't get loose. And the car took off, gained speed, was going 25, 30 miles an hour. And fortunately, thank God, a police officer saw this and turned on his siren, went after the car, brought it over to the side, and the dog was fine. But as the police officer said in his report, this dog was going 25, 30 miles an hour, a couple times lost his footing and twirled around, but got right back on his his feet again. And as the police reported it, he said, that dog was picking him up and putting him down as fast as he'd ever seen a dog uh, moving, moving along like that. The dog came back and it was fine, other than the fact that it didn't want to go out for its evening walk for a week or so uh, after that event. But as I read that, I began to think how that is such a picture of our lives, where it seems in life we're just, we're we're picking them up and putting them down as fast as we possibly can, trying to keep up with everything, trying to keep up with our lives, trying to stay on track trying to finish everything that's in front of us, and, and we're tired. And, and we realize as we, as we try to keep up with everything that some things aren't kept up with. And sadly, tragically, sometimes as we try to keep up with the busy pace of our lives, it's the Lord that we lose focus towards. It's the Lord whose desire for us to stay passionate with him and in love with him that sometimes that gets pushed off to the side with all of the busyness in our lives. The church that we look at this morning, the group of Christians in this town of Sardis that was a very influential city. Alexander the Great had built a beautiful uh, temple to Artemis. 
there was a, an amazing, even Jewish synagogue, very wealthy Jewish synagogue in that town, a beautiful Roman gymnasium that you can even see today. And I know your pastor, his family, probably others of you have seen the city of Sardis, but it was a wealthy city too. <clears throat> they had found gold running in the river right next to it. And in the midst of all of the wealth and busyness and keeping up with their business pursuits and all of those things, they had begun to lose sight of God in their lives. And in this very brief message to these Christians in Sardis, the Lord has three things to say to them. First of all, wake up to the Lord himself. Secondly, wake up to their lives, to the reality of how they were living their lives. And finally, wake up to the future. Realize we will be with the Lord for eternity and all of the blessings that are, that are ours in light of our relationship with Christ and all that we will share as joint heirs with Jesus Christ in light of all that's going to be ours someday. Keep our focus on him. Don't let the busyness of life in some way distract us from what really matters in life. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will, as they are reminded to wake up to the Lord, to not allow their busyness to distract them from the Lord himself. And it begins, and to the angel, or the, the messenger, the, could be translated the pastor of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, when I was here last year, I mentioned as we looked at a number one of, another one of these letters that at the beginning of these seven letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it they all begin with some descriptions of Jesus, characteristics of Jesus that that particular church needed to hear. In this case, we are reminded that Jesus has the seven spirits of God or the, the fullness of the Spirit. And when we get busy, when we get distracted, when we lose focus in our lives, what we really need is to be renewed and filled again with the fullness of the Spirit of God and to seek that, that recommitment to the Lord. And Jesus is that one that has the fullness of the Spirit that can help to renew us. And the seven stars, the seven stars at the end of Revelation chapter 1 refers to the, the leaders, the pastors in the churches that Jesus holds us in his hands. He holds the churches. He holds the leaders, the pastors. He's so actively involved in our lives that we must never take him for granted. But we must always be devoted to him. And he goes on to say this. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive and you are dead. In this Christian community in Sardis, obviously they were very active. They were very busy. People would look at them and go, wow, look at those people. They're always doing something. They always got some activity going on. There's always something taking place. But the Lord, looking through it all, says, spiritually, it's dying. That even though they're busy and doing a lot of things, their focus on Christ, their focus on God, their focus on, on being passionately involved 
in the things that matter in this world was being lost. And he reminds them that even though we're very busy doing stuff, we can also be neglecting the most important thing in our life. Charles Swindoll, in one of his books, talks about some of the things that happens in churches or or in a Christian's life when they are dying spiritually. He mentions that sometimes it's because we get so caught up in the past and we're always living in the good old days of the past that we don't really engage right now what God wants us to do. Or sometimes we become so uh, interested in, in the cosmetic and the outward things that we forget about character and the inner qualities God is trying to work on in us. And one of the things that Charles Swindoll mentioned is that sometimes when we lose sight of evangelism and outreach and missions that we begin to spiritually decline within our lives. Well, the point that the Lord is trying to make to the Christians in Sardis is don't lose sight of God. Don't lose sight of what God cares about, what matters to the heart of God. And be sure in the midst of all the craziness of our lives that we hold on to that and keep that dear to us as well. Secondly, in verses 2 and 3, he says, wake up to your lives. Wake up to the reality of where you are. When you look again at the Lord, take a look at your lives. How are you doing? How is your relationship with God? Is it as strong as it needs to be? He says there, verse 2, wake up. Strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. One of the things you find in these seven letters is that a true Christian, as mentioned here, a a real Christian, is someone who does hang in there for the long haul. Someone who does overcome the challenges of life. We have our ups and downs. We may stumble. We may fall. But a Christian is someone who does hang in there. A Christian is someone who, when they realize that, that their life isn't on track with God, that that there are some things that, that have fallen to the wayside that they take seriously, as he says here, the things that remain, the things that, that need to be rekindled in our lives. Notice what he goes on to say, remember therefore what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. It's really almost the same message that we see in the first of these letters in Revelation chapter 2 with the Ephesians. As in verses 2 and 3, he says to them, I know your works, your toil, your labor, all the things that you're doing. I even know that you hold truly to your Christian beliefs and you stand up for those beliefs and, and really call out those who hold wrong beliefs. But he says to the Ephesians in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you've left your first love. And that may be well the issue with those at Sardis, that they were active and busy and doing things, but it wasn't out of their love for Christ. It was for many other purposes and many other reasons. And that's why he goes on to say, verse 3, if therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. He says the same thing in 
to the Ephesians, in essence, if you don't turn around, that I will come and remove your lampstand out of its place. That the Lord is saying this, in essence, I love you, but I've created you to be passionate about me and what's on my heart. And when you allow those things to go by the wayside, I'm going to come to you and get your attention, whatever it takes, because I want you to be walking passionately with me. And if not, if you don't and you sustain that, that life long enough, I, I'll take kind of your, the light of your life away. You won't have the impact with others if your light is not on target with me. What do we do? He says here, think about what you've received. Think about when you came to know Christ and how you love to pray, and how you love to get into the Bible and read, and how you love to gather with Christians, and you love to tell others what Jesus had done for you. He says, go back and think about those things again, what you've heard, and keep it, and, and be honest with God. Confess it. Repent. Go back and renew that passion again with Christ, your love for Christ, and follow after him with all of your heart. And finally then, he says, after saying, wake up to the Lord, wake up to your life where you are, how you're really doing, he finally says, wake up to the future in verses four through six. As he says to them, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, of course we know in Christ that our only worthiness is because of what Jesus has done for us. But as in any church, I, I think what the Lord is saying, that there are some in, that are meeting with the believers in, in Sardis, but they're not really followers of Christ. Those who are true followers of Christ have been forgiven. And because of that, they will walk in purity of life for all eternity, in white, as it is spoken of here. Because of Jesus Christ, we are worthy. Verse 5, he who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. Again, a Christian overcomes. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives, the ultimate result of that is he will never leave us nor forsake us. That ultimately, even with ups and downs and challenges and difficulties, if we know Jesus Christ, we will overcome. And we will be with him forever. And he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. Wow. Now some look at that and say, well, does that mean that he does erase some people's names from the book of life? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying here is that for someone who is genuinely a Christian, who has received the forgiveness of Christ, knows Jesus Christ, who has, has been clothed in the garments of Christ, that their name will never be erased from the book of life. That's his point. It won't happen. And he goes on to say, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Remember Jesus said, if you confess me before others, I will confess you before my father who is in heaven. Again, those are all the marks of a Christian who is not ashamed of Jesus and willing to stand for Jesus. And his point is, as he goes on to say in verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. His point is, think about what's ahead. Think about your future. 
Think about all that Jesus has done for you and all that's going to mean for you for all eternity. How can we waste and fritter away our time in this world in light of the amazing future that God has for us? It is so easy in this world. There are so many forces, so many things that that pull us apart, so many things in our lives that tear us away from the Lord, things that happen to us, and we get stuck in places in our life, and we just can't seem to get out of those places, even though we know that the Lord has so much more and so much better for us. I was reading about a circus in Arizona, and I think many circuses now are having to to let go of their elephant acts because of cruelty laws and things. But this is back when they had an elephant. And this person was noticing, here is an elephant that weighs 10 tons, chained to a little stake that he could easily pull out of the ground and take off. And so somebody asked the elephant trainer, why is it these, these elephants don't just pull out the stake and take off? And he said, it's very simple. When they are young, just 100, 200, 300 pounds, they drive that stake in the ground, and at that age, the elephant can't pull it out. And it tries, and day after day, it tries to to pull that stake out, and finally it gives up. And even as it grows to adulthood, when it could easily pull it out, it never forgets, I can't pull that stake out, so it doesn't try anymore. And, you know, sometimes there are things in our lives like that where something has kept us tied and we just think, I could never change that. You know, I I haven't been reading my Bible regularly, but my schedule sets. I could never change that. Or I know I don't pray as much as I should, but I have all of these things keeping me from it. Sometimes we just have to say, Lord, you are bigger than all of that. You can break the chains that have bound me to these patterns that are not what you want. You can... You can empower me to know again the renewal of a wonderful, joyful, full relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I think of waking up to him, when I think of waking up and being honest with my life, when I think about waking up to the future, all of those things hopefully keep us passionate and engaged with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray together this morning. Gracious and loving Father, we thank you so very much for the privilege to be here together. Thank you, gracious Father, for your love for every person on this planet, your desire that everyone might know the wonderful name of Jesus Christ in all its power and glory. And Lord, we ask that in our own lives, in the craziness and the busyness, in the activity, that you might never be forgotten, but that your beauty and presence might only be enhanced every day as we seek to grow to know you more fully and to share you more completely. And we will thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.